Okay, let me just pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us yet again, my God, by your word and through your spirit. Lord, that we'd be edified, Lord, we'd have a revelation of your word, God, and above all, an application of it in our lives. I ask, God, that you'd bless this time around your word in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 6. Now, uh, as mentioned last week, for those that were here and those that may be aware, um, we need to just, we're still considering this theme of fullness and uh, this week's message is built on last week's message for those uh, that were here and uh, so you may recall what we looked at, yes, yes. amen, Romans chapter 6 and we were considering the issue of God's grace and it's the foundational aspects and its application in our lives as we considered Romans chapter 6. And so we looked at Paul's question, continue in sin that grace may abound, in which we had the reply, absolutely not. And so we looked at the first, really was the first eight verses or seven verses there of um, Romans chapter 6 as we looked at the fact that we have died to sin. So having died to sin, how can we any longer live in it? Is, the, is, the, is Paul's, what he's talking about. So therefore God's grace is not some cover-up of sin as such. Otherwise, actually it is in the sense that it enables us to be forgiven of our sins for by grace we've been saved. But it doesn't uh, act as a, uh, a license to sin so that God's grace can, grace can continue to abound. So we looked at the issue of being baptised into Christ, you may recall, and our identification with Christ, because this is very significant. And in doing that, we looked in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, where it talks about having been crucified with him and the body of sin being done away with, the old man, the, uh, the, the old man being representative of Adam, the Adamic uh, being born of Adam, being in Adam and then we are in the new creation, in, in the new man which is Christ, being in Christ and so again uh, that being the foundation. So we looked at these various aspects and so these are, all, these are all doctrinal truths that we have to comprehend and understand and so as we look at Romans 6 as it con- Paul continues to write we find further understanding and application of the grace of God into our lives and how it is to be effective and effectual to enable us to live as God would have us to live. And so we kind of concluded in verse 8 where if we look at it, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So we're establishing the fact. Now if we died with Christ, that's the fact, that's what's happened. When we were born of God, that was the reality. This is what took place. And so how can we continue in sin? We can't. But see, the issue of death that is really just one side of the coin that Paul is dealing with here as he writes in Romans 6 because we're also considering the, not only our identification or likeness in his death but also that which relates to the likeness of his resurrection, verse 4. So we are, uh, we are partakers of the divine nature and we are identifying with Christ not only in his death but in his and this is where we get this issue of walking in newness of life. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God is what Paul is expounding here. And so we see that and we're going to pick it up as we continue from verse 8. But remember as we consider these things that we are talking about going back to chapter 5 verse 17 Remember that was the, the, the foundation or the bouncing scripture that we were proceeding from in which we, Paul makes the emphasis of the, the, abundance, uh, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at this theme, reign in life. This is the second part. And by the grace of God, the abundance of that God has given and the gift of righteousness that has been imputed to us through Christ Jesus, this forms the foundation for us to reign in life through one that is Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. The abundance of grace. Remember, I must state this. Remember, we looked the week before that at grace, uh, John's word in in John 1, we have received of his fullness uh, and uh, we have received grace for grace. 
Zechariah, the capstone, there were shouts of grace, grace. And so this is the reign, the reign of grace and we are to reign in life through one man which is Jesus Christ through the abundance of grace that he has given us. And that abundance of grace is not a license to sin but rather it's an ability to live and have dominion over sin through Christ Jesus. And so we're going to see how grace operates and apart from being imputed to us in Christ Jesus we're going to look at it in the context of being imparted, the righteousness not just imputed, which is our position, but now in the process of sanctification, the, the righteousness of God is being imparted and being manifested as we walk in that newness of life and bear the fruit of holiness unto Jesus. So let's read um, in chapter 6, and we want to pick it up. We'll start at verse 8. We'll read right down to verse 23. So let's read together. Now, if we died with him, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For what, uh, what fruit did you have? Oh, sorry, for when you were, sorry, verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you have, uh, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, let's go back and pick it up from verse 9 as we work through this. The reign of God's grace which enables us to reign in life. We see at verse 8, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So we've identified with the death, but now we must understand our identification that is with the, the life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. In verse 9 it says, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. You see, the, the, the death no longer has a dominion over Christ. Now, if we have identified with his death and we have, been, we have died with Christ and we are in Christ, amen, then we, what we draw from that is death, spiritual death, in this sense, no longer has dominion over us. The law of sin no longer exercises a dominion over us. The law of sin and death has been done away with, has been nullified through Christ Jesus and so in the same manner that death has no dominion over Christ, so too sin and death has no dominion in the spiritual sense. We know this body will have to be put off at some point but it no longer has dominion over us. You see, in having died with Christ, the question is obvious. Should the old man, should the flesh, should the carnal nature have dominion? Absolutely not. God has made provision for this. He has dealt with this through the cross. 
Christ has dealt with this in his death and his resurrection, praise the Lord. And so absolutely not, the old man, the Adamic nature, the flesh as we call it, the carnal men, they're all interchangeable words representing the same. Uh, they, the, the, this is no longer to be, have dominion. In, outside of Christ we were slaves to sin. We were under dominion of sin, but not now that we're in Christ. Hallelujah. This is one of the glorious gospel truths that we can identify and we see. No longer does sin have dominion over us, but we have been made free, praise the Lord, and he whom the Son sets free, my Bible says, is free indeed. Not maybe free, hopefully free, is free, praise the Lord. For the, Verse 10, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now this is talking about Christ. Remember, we are identified with Christ. And Paul's establishing this as a parallel, as a pattern for our lives. And so here is Christ in his death, knowing that he from the dead, and he died to in once and all that he now lives in his resurrection and he lives to God. That's the resurrection life of Christ. And you know what, church? We are identified his resurrection. Praise God. That's why Paul says, I may know the power of his resurrection. There is something about the resurrection power of God, the resurrection life of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, is in us and quickens our mortal bodies. We're talking about a life-giving spirit, men. Adam became, but in the last Adam became a life-giving spirit and we are feeding, hallelujah, we are sustaining this spirit, this, the Holy Spirit, the Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so in the same way, Christ having been raised from the dead lives to God, so too having been identified with him and raised with him, seated in heavenly places, we live unto God. Not unto ourselves, not unto our flesh, but unto God because the old man has been crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. You see how it works, praise the Lord. This is the reality. Now look at verse 11. I want us to ponder this for a moment because Paul states this and then he says, likewise you also. So this is where he's identified Christ in the previous verses and now he's making the personal application of it. He says, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see... Paul's words here are very important in verse 11 and it is significant for us to understand what Paul wants us to do here because he's requiring something of us in this transaction or in this reality if you want to call it and likewise you also in light of these truths you are to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God. Now the reality is this, it's already happened. Paul has stated something that has already taken place in the believer's life, in the child of God, in the one that has been born of God. But you see, just because that is a reality, that does, that does not compute to and equal that that is the experience of the Christian. It's meant to be. It has happened. Positionally in Christ, this is where it's at, but practically that may not be yet expressing itself. And so the word reckon yourselves dead is quite an important word for us to consider. Let me ask you a question. How many really understand the nature and implications of what Paul is writing here in these verses of Romans chapter 6? How many? I know for many, many years I, I, I was ignorant, I would read it and it sounded good but to tell you that I understood exactly what was being said, I didn't. That's not to say I wasn't experiencing it. Okay? You see, there are those that, that are just ignorant of it. There are those who, have not who are ignorant and do not experience what Paul is written here 
And then there are those who are experiencing what Paul has written but don't fully grasp it by way of revelation. Because you know what? When you were born of God, do you understand everything? But I tell you what, you got everything. And you experienced it. The resurrection life of God being born from above, you, you sense the power of his forgiveness, you began to walk in freedom, you were set free, you were delivered and you walked in all of these things but you didn't understand Romans chapter 6. Actually, the first time you read it you said, what is that? It's very confusing. It can still be confusing. And so, this is why Paul said, And so this reckoning, as referred to in the scripture, must be understood because what is it that Paul's saying? You see, the Greek word here for reckon is, uh, uh, it, it basically means, uh, to, to be translated in the Greek, it means to take an inventory, to estimate, or to conclude. It means also to consider or to calculate. So in other words, as, I, as you ponder what Paul's saying, when he says, you, likewise you reckon yourselves to be dead in, to sin and alive to God, it's already happened, but you have to reckon upon that reality. You have to come to an understanding and you have to come to a revelation and a conclusion on the matter that this is the way that it is. And so you have to consider these things. You know, to, uh, who's ever... It's very detailed what Paul is actually saying here. I mean, if you t- take an inventory, to bring it to its logical end is what Paul is saying, is to connect all the dots. And that's what Paul's doing for us in Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 6 and he goes through verse 1, 4, 5, 6 and you go. It's basically you have to follow each. And as you take that inventory of all that Paul as you consider every detail, as you calculate the various truths that are being identified and highlighted, as you consider life equals Christ, it equals amen. I am dead to sin and I am alive to God. Hallelujah. That's what it is when you consider all that Paul is talking about, when you reckon upon this reality, you come to the realisation and the revelation that this is what it is, that I am dead to sin and alive to God. Praise the Lord. You see, what are we concluding? What are we reckoning on? The fact that we have been free from the guilt and the penalty and in this instance, the dominion of sin. God dealt with it, praise the Lord. Christ on the cross, he dealt a blow, a death blow, amen, to sin. He not only to forgive us of our sins, but also to deal with sin and its power over our lives. And this is the, this is the part of sanctification that we begin, Paul's beginning to touch upon in chapter 6, because in chapter 3 he talks about our sins, but from chapter 6 now he's dealing with sin and its power, or it, the power that it did exercise in our lives, but it doesn't any longer, praise the Lord, because I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. And Paul says this is what happened when you were born and you were baptised into Christ. Now reckon yourselves dead to sin. Forget playing around with sin, thinking that you can continue in sin and God's grace will abound. That's the biggest lie from the pit of hell. God's grace is to give you an ability to reign in life, to be free from sin and to live with the dominion over sin. You see, this gospel, it must be rationalised. You know, it's logical. And, when you, and that's what makes the book of Romans such a special book, isn't it? Because we call it like it lays the foundation of what we call systematic theology. Because there's a, there's a system here. There is a, we call it the Romans road because if you take it and you follow it, it takes you somewhere. Praise the Lord. 
And so as you begin to, you know, we have chapter and verses and that can be confusing but if you read the book and you read it from beginning to end and you follow Paul's thoughts and where he's going, how wonderful it is, amen, what a revelation it contains. It's, the, it's got the gospel in, in its entirety. See, so many f- fail to reach the logical conclusion of our life in Christ and there are many that fail to reckon themselves dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you, you must reckon upon this reality. That's why Paul's writing this and instructing us to because if you don't reckon upon this reality then you will fail in your dealings with sin and it will possibly lead to some as an abuse of God's grace if we are not careful and if we're not applying what Paul has stated and what is sound doctrine. That's why he says in verse 12, Therefore, in light of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Don't let sin reign. But rather we are to reign in life. Hallelujah. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. And you begin to learn to live in the power of the life of Christ. You begin to live in the power of Christ. And it's Christ who is the, the, the source of all life, all power given to us in this instance as so identified by Paul through his grace. Grace is not a license to sin. It's not a cover-up. In actual fact, it is God's provision to give you power and dominion over sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You see, God wouldn't say that unless it was possible. Now, in, actually, I won't go there just yet. But that's what it says, doesn't it? You can be quick to say, oh, but, you know, but, because this is but. But forget the but. This is God's standard we're considering. This is, the, this is the purity and holiness and righteousness of God. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Now look at verse 13. Now I want you to, as we read this, I want you to identify a couple of new words that Paul is introducing. He says, Do not present your members as to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, Paul has shifted now and he's, uh, he's asked them to reckon themselves to be dead indeed to sin, but now he's asking them to do something. He's, uh, he's requiring something of them. You see, what is the word that stands out to you in verse 13? It's probably a couple, but is there one? Present. Do not present. It is, in the King James it's actually yield. Do not yield. And the, but yield is probably a little bit more um, representative. Do not yield your members to sin, but present yourself. Now there it is again. How, who are you going to? Who are you going to present yourself to? Or to God? Are you going to yield to sin or are you going to yield to God? Are you going to yield your members as being alive from the dead as your, uh, as in You see, for us, as important as it is to know our union with Christ, which is what Romans 6, 1 to 4, so forth, talks about, as important as to know this, and as important it is to understand the reckoning that Paul refers to in verse 11 upon that reality of our union, that's the second part. But the third part, to make this all effective, is to make it effectual, it's going to take more than uh, us knowing this reality and reckoning upon this truth. There's one more critical component that is associated in living in the fullness of Christ as Paul's speaking about here and it is this issue, who will you present yourself to? 
Who will you yield to? Because you can understand these truths. You can have, God can reveal them to you, but still if you refuse to yield and are stiff-necked and are hard-hearted, then you will not appropriate the fullness and the power and the grace of God. Rather, you will abuse it. I see, what it, see how it works. And so we have to yield ourselves. Yield. Yield is an act of submission. Present yourselves. You see, it's, remember we talked about the fact that Paul talks about righteousness that is imputed to us in Christ. It talks about in Romans 5.17, the, the gift of righteousness. Thank God for the gift of righteousness that we have in Christ. But you see, what Paul is shifting to now is the, uh, not just righteousness imputed, but righteousness imparted. That it will begin to be manifested in the fruit will begin to be seen and the only way in which that will become evident in our lives if we present ourselves to God, if we yield to God. Because we have to yield. We have to surrender. We have to submit. We have to present ourselves. And this is an act of our will. They're based on the choices we have to make upon these realities of our union, upon the reckoning that is associated of those great truths. But at the end of the day, what are we going to do? That's the question. It's our actions, it's our choices. Are we going to yield to God or are we going to not yield Him? You see, it says in verse 13, there's another word there, it says, and um, there's the word instruments, is another one. As your, so, your members as instruments of unrighteousness. And then it says again, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your body? What are you going to do with yourself? Are you going to, you see, we're, this body, a vehicle and you can present it to God. You can yield it to God in, in relation to holiness and righteousness and you can submit it to God being alive from the dead as we are. Amen. Because the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens our mortal bodies and we are to yield God, we are to surrender to God or we can feed our flesh because there's a, that's why the Bible says is that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And so one wants the ascendancy. And are you going to have the life of Christ and walk in the fullness of God or are you going to feed and man? Because what you feed will gain that ascendancy and dominance in your life. That's why it's important to maintain a walk with God. That's why it's important to read your Bible and understand the Scriptures. If you abide in my word, walk in the word read the word know the word and so we want our bodies to be a vehicle for God's grace not a vehicle for sin therefore we have to yield and present ourselves to God not sin because look at verse 14 for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace. You know, under law, sin has a dominion because the Bible teaches us that the strength of sin is the law. And so, and Paul talks about this in the next chapter in Romans 7, doesn't he? That the, the, that the, the law actually, rather than giving us a standard to live up to, the moment we try and perform that in our own strength, we fall flat in our face. We can't do that. But we're not under law, praise the Lord. We're dead, we're dead to the law and we have now married to Christ, Romans 7, and therefore, amen, we are delivered. We have been set free, we are alive to God and we can walk in the liberty and in the... You see, grace, in a sense, is far above law. People look at law and they, th- they look at grace and then they... Thank God for the grace, but you see the grace requires more, but it doesn't just require more, it gives you the amen, to live the, the life that God wants us to live. 
And so sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace and grace sets you free. Praise the Lord. Now what's interesting is in verse 15 because Paul poses another question that's similar to his one in in verse 1, chapter 6. So he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? See, in the first instance he says, we sh- shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That was the, the reasoning and the, uh, what he was addressing then. But then he says in this, verse 15, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Because grace, you know, it does cover sin, right? God has to make provision for it, right? Absolutely he has in his grace. But that doesn't give us concession to sin. You see, Paul's still anticipating the wickedness of the human heart in the fact that somehow we're just looking for some legitimacy. Oh, well, you know, I do have a sinful nature, you know. I do have to live and battle with the flesh. I have inherent weaknesses. And yes, you do. Absolutely you do. But God, amen, has made provision for it and that's why Paul says, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And again he says, absolutely not. You're saying, whoa, but wait a minute. This is getting really, the standard is because God's perfect. We're not perfect but God is and the standard never changes. You say, you know, but, but then there are those that are just looking for a green light to abuse God's grace. Well, okay, I won't continue in sin, but just one sin. Just one sin. Well, Ananias and Sapphira thought one sin would be good. I don't want to take that risk of presumptuous sin before the Lord. Because there's always a consequence. You never games with God. You think we can get away with something? We can get away with nothing. See, Paul's anticipating the fact that someone might say, well, if, grace, if, this is, if God's grace is such, then give us, doesn't it give us some allowance, some concession? Just, just a little bit even? Paul says, no, not at all. God's grace is not for this purpose and it's not to be used for this purpose because it's an abuse of God's grace. And so what we find is there is no justification for sin. There is no provision under God's grace for its allowance. Although, and I'll state this, but doesn't, not that it has to do with the context of what we're talking about, but the God has in his mercy, praise the Lord, and his grace, he has made provision in that we have an advocate with the Father. But that doesn't, there's a reality to life, but that doesn't change the standard of life. And when we read Romans chapter 6, Paul's establishing the holiness of God the righteousness of God, the perfect standard that is in God. And there is, and if you're trying to rationalise some, some exception to the rule, it doesn't exist. Because God's grace is not for that purpose, as Paul is writing, but rather if we are yielding to God and presenting to God, then at the end of the day, with every temptation, God gives us a way of escape. Do you know that we don't have to sin? I know we do, but another issue. God has made provision in His grace that we don't have to. And I know we fail, but this is the reality. This is what this is the standard that we identify because what we have to be uh, mindful of in order to, through God's grace, reckon upon. Otherwise. You'll have a misunderstanding of God's nature, you'll have a misunderstanding of God's grace and then all of a sudden you'll start making excuses for things that God says. There's no excuse for that. You know, psychology makes excuses for everything. Not God's word. So, we're talking about the perfect standard of God in true righteousness and true holiness. And so what we're what we're seeing here is that rather than um, be slaves to sin, uh, as we were in the old men, under uh, which was under the law, now in the new creation, in the new men, under grace, we find this: we are to be slaves to God. 
slaves to God. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present, there's that word again, yield, do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey. Notice the emphasis whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And so we have this issue here. And so it's again, it's who are you going to yield to? Who are you going to present yourself slaves to obey? Is it going to be of sin or is it going to be of obedience leading to righteousness? And in verse 17, but thank God, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You see, he's saying, who will you obey? And so notice that in stating that, he's not, a, he's not trying to establish approach to the Christian life and that's why he, in the very next verse uh, he makes a statement in which he says uh, um, but, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin yet you obeyed from the heart see obedience is not, not to be rooted in some external rule or law but obedience and Paul is identifying the very foundation that they responded to in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what has characterised their initial obedience to God was that they obeyed from the heart that form of teaching and the doctrine that Paul had taught them. And in stating that, he's basically saying, let that be the same principle, the same motivation as you proceed towards sanctification and as you proceed towards holiness and righteousness to God. It has to be from the heart, church. I could preach a and if you, the Bible says his commands are not burdensome because when you obey from the heart, it's not a burden, it's a joy and it's the love of God and it's our love for God that is motivating us and that's why love is the critical factor in obedience. A bunch of rules that have got up in this church or that you have to do this and you have to do that. You live like that, what a miserable Christian life. I've been there. That's why I can tell you this. I've lived on the external form. I've been, I understand the elements of legalism in the mind. But thank God through his grace. Amen. And then it, God narrows it down and he refines us and there's the, he gets that and he he brings us into his, a greater knowledge and revelation and experience of his grace. And grace changes everything. Hallelujah. So he says in verse 17, But thank God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine. And he's appealing to them in the same manner, obey what I'm telling you now. Take that same, the same thing that characterised the beginning, apply it now, and that way you can be on the same premise, on the same principle, in sanctification, not just your justification. And therefore, pursue holiness. Pursue righteousness. Don't obey sin. Don't obey its lust. Don't live according to the old man. You're dead to sin, but alive to God. And you need to reckon upon that reality. You need to take an account of that in your life and you need to come to the conclusion, you know what, that's enough. Mortify the flesh is what we've, we find in the scripture. So, verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. See? Slaves of righteousness. And in essence, that's what we are, church. Amen? But again, we're slaves willingly. We are slaves willingly. We obeyed from the heart. It's not a slave, oh gosh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. No, it's all from the heart. We are willing slaves. It is right to his will. Amen. That's the essence of obedience. And so we are slaves to righteousness. He says in verse 19 again, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves 
um, where are we? Slaves of, of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Now present your members of slaves of righteousness for holiness or for sanctification. You know, that's what we did when we were sinners. You didn't hold back. Sin, sin was there and we just kept picking the fruit. We just, uh, for, so we presented our members, we yielded to sin time and time again. And now Paul says, well now, under the grace of God and, and by the Spirit of God, the enabling power of God, that you need to now set your will and set yourself to live in, uh, as a slave to righteousness and present your members as, uh, to God for holiness. Holiness. See, there's going to be an effort that's going to be required from us. There's going to be choices that you're going to have to make. Decisions that have to be made in relation to do this. It's not just an automatic. You know, the reckoning, you know, when you reckon yourselves dead to sin, it doesn't automatically just happen. Okay? The reckoning is part of the process. You now have to yield. You now have to present. You now have to choose. You now have to set your will to do his will. And there you have the divine and the human working in conjunction together in synchronized, whatever, in syn- uh, synergy, synchronization, whatever the word is, and there you have the, re- the recipe for success and fullness. And so we're talking about God's grace. We're talking about reigning in life through Jesus Christ. And grace gives us the power. Grace gives us the ability to have dominion over sin as I yield and as I submit to God. What does the scripture say? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, the the issue of submission, yielding, presenting, is first and foremost. And until that that is dealt with, until that is in place, then, then you can't resist the devil. You can't resist sin. Sin will have dominion. Because until you yield to God, until you're fully submitted to him, then the grace of God will give you that ability and that power that you need to overcome sin. That's how it works. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, praise the Lord. That's the same principle being, being, being set forth. And isn't it interesting that Paul would write this whole uh, systematic doctrinal um, uh, letter to establish the sound teaching of the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's, we're touching upon some practical applications here in chapter 6, but if you go to chapter 12, after he concludes the whole issue of Israel and the whole doctrinal statements of, 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 of Christianity as we know it, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his practical instruction in verse 1 of chapter 12 is the famous, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your spiritual act of worship. This is what's required of you. And verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's the part that we have to perform. This is our obligation. Look at verse 19. If you go back to it again, it makes this emphasis. We are slaves of righteousness for holiness, for sanctification to be set apart, to be transformed. You see, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but not anymore now that you know the truth and have experienced God's grace and know his forgiveness, then now you have an obligation to God. You are slaves unto God, slaves unto righteousness. This is your obligation to God to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Be holy for I am holy. It's an obligation that we have. 
But then Paul says in verse, 20, verse uh, 21, For what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the, in, the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Your fruit to holiness. You see, that's what we're doing. We are yielding fruit. You see, when you yield to God, God gives, you are basically enabling the grace of God, the power of God, the spirit of God, the life of God to so permeate your life that you will bear fruit to God. It's that simple. Yield to him. Obey. And in doing that, you will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Why does God discipline us? The Bible in Hebrews 12, about whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and no discipline is pleasant. That sandpaper doesn't feel good. But you know what? At the end of the day, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness because God takes the most stubborn heart, the most hard heart, and he can humble men. He has his ways and he has his means of bringing us through various trials and tribulations until we finally say, yes, Lord. And we finally yield to him and say, not my will, but your will. But sometimes we have to go through various things to get to that point when really we shouldn't have to, should we? We, If we can just reckon upon these realities and if we can by faith and, and obedience walk with God, then we can experience these things now. So it's the... Not the works of holiness, the fruit to holiness. It's a subtle difference, but it's critical to our understanding. And it still involves our effort, it still involves our choices, it still involves our actions. But it's done with a complete understanding of God's grace and its effective power in our lives. And so we have then, as we conclude, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we read verse 23, and rightly so. We take it and we just, we say, you know, we use it as part of the gospel presentation where we say the wages of sin is death and we talk about hell and judgment and so forth, eternal, the second death, and it's, it's applicable. It is all of that. But you see, when you, if you take verse 23 and you put it into the context of chapter 6 and what Paul's asked in, chapter, in verse 1, shall we continue in sin? Well, if you take that to its logical end, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. If you're going to live a life continually in sin and abuse the grace of God, my Bible says the wages of sin is death. You see, you can't live and abuse the grace of God in this manner, in my, in my opinion, and still claim heaven. Uh, that, that's, uh, again, this can be taken out of context, but I'm only trying to make this application of what Paul is saying here and stated as it is written for in its context. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we don't work our way to heaven. That's not because it's a gift from God. But what I'm saying is, is the only thing you can work your way to is hell. Because the wages of sin is death. And we talk about it in the context of the sinner, but I tell you now, it has another application for those who would claim to know God, but live and continue in sin. And so, in light of all of these things, if I could just bring our minds back as we conclude the message this morning. You see, God's grace goes way beyond just salvation and justification. It moves to sanctification. And we have to live a life of obedience. We have to live a life in which we are bearing fruit to holiness and we are, understand the fact that we are slaves unto righteousness. And we are in the likeness of his death 
and we are in the likeness of his resurrection and in verse 4 of Romans 6, we walk in a newness of life. We walk in the newness of life. We are dead to sin and alive to God and we continue to yield and present ourselves as slaves bearing fruit to holiness. The grace of God is what gives us the ability to live in this manner to walk in this way, to walk effectively in the newness of life that is in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would see it, that you would understand it because Paul says in Romans 5 verse 17 that we have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we would reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Thank God that he causes us to triumph in Christ. Thank God for Christ and the... We, this is the victory. Christ, hallelujah. We are, more than, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you begin to see all of that and you begin to identify it and you begin to reckon upon it and above all, you begin to live it. And I tell you, amen, that's of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Oh God, we just thank you for your, your grace. We just thank you, Lord, for your word, for the provisions that you have made. That we are not under law, but we are under grace. And that grace, Lord, has, it gives us. The grace of God teaches. The grace of God empowers Oh God, I just thank you, Lord, that you've given us all that we require, all that we need, Lord, to walk worthy before you. And I pray, God, that in light of, of our union with Christ, in light of our identification with Christ's death and resurrection, that we would reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we would yield, Lord, yield and present our members as not as instruments unto sin, but unto instruments as unto righteousness, unto God, unto holiness. Yes, Lord, that we would not allow our bodies to be a vehicle for sin's expression, but rather, Lord, for the grace of God, we would allow ourselves, Lord, to be the vehicle of your holiness and your righteousness so that people, when they see us, they see Christ in us. Hallelujah. Being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Amen. Praise God. God bless you this morning and um, we shall leave it there where we proceed to a time of fellowship with one another. Lord bless you.